everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind, the top albums of 1985, part one. This is my radio voice, I'm going to stick with this for a whole, now I'm done. <laughs> I don't know how people can do that for long chunks of time, because I was in radio, and you could do that for like, eh, 10, 30 seconds, whatever, but after that, your normal voice starts to set in. If that is your normal voice, holy shit, you're a robot from another planet. Nobody talks like that normally, nobody. Is that it? Which is awkward pause while I do that. And I slap my belly because I just had a big stomach full of tea. <laughs> my belly is swollen from tea because I can't wake up this morning. I got a fucking headache. <laughs> uh, so uh, we, this is the first time we're splitting this up into two different lists. And it was harder for me, I think. I think you were like, I need four lists. <laughs> well, it was a little more difficult due to how we split these up because, yeah, I could easily just go, yeah, here's... Five song, five albums here, and then five albums here. I totally got that covered. Yes. And then it's well, let's do the first half of the year first, and then the second half, you know, next. Hey, hey, like, hey! I gave you an option out. I said hey, we can do this a different way, and you're like, no. So don't you complain? <laughs> Aw, huh. I don't want to complain. All right, I'm cool. good at it. It's it's the American way. <laughs> Narcissism. <laughs> Um, hey, I'm going to tell you right now, one of these albums I suggested, I'm not sure if I even told you. I feel like I switched them halfway through, and I don't even remember the the album. I don't remember it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I apologize. Well, well if it's different albums, <laughs> I don't. We're screwed if we did. I'm looking at it going, I don't remember telling him this one. But I have a star next to it, so that must be it. Okay, so before we start our list, what almost made your list? Let's see. Let me pull up that list, because I had a cup. A lot of my stuff ended up actually being uh, in the second half of the year, I noticed, which kind of turned into, like, crap. What was it? Crap. What was that? Uh, but I had uh, Alcatraz's Disturbing the Peace in mind for this half of the year. Uh, Till Tuesday's Voices Carry. Ooh. Exodus, Exodus's Bonded by Blood. And uh, Megadeth's uh, Killing is My Business, and Business is Good. Yeah, I thought about that one, but they haven't hit their prime for me. So the ones that almost made my list is Dead Milkman, Big Lizard in My Backyard. I don't want to feed it anymore. Power Station, which is one of the very first albums I ever had as a kid. And that's still, Some Like It Hot has got one of the most banging beats ever. Do, 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 dun, 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 dun. Um, also, uh, I tried to find Tales of the New West. That was going to be my number five. Uh, by the Beat Farmers. It's a fucking great album. It's impossible to find unless you actually buy it, and it's very expensive. I have no idea why this one album uh, is so hard to get from this band. They were only around for a few years. They had like three albums, and they have like a couple live albums and stuff like that. And they have a greatest hits collection on Spotify, but it doesn't. We don't want to cheat like that. I think that was kind of the rule. We never pick a greatest hits collection. Yeah, that's. I've been. There's like uh, I want to do uh, Sig Sig Sputnik uh, for the next for next year in A6, but they don't have the actual album, and it's like, yeah. Damn. I mean, I don't want to bootleg anything, but it was available bootleg. But I'm like, ah, I don't want to do that. So I, you know, it's just uh, so Beat Farmers. If you can find Tales of the New West, that is a definite um, obscurity. You have to listen to it. It's so much fun. Yeah, I know you mentioned it, and I'm. And I'm very curious to check that one out. Um, what is your first album? My first album is Super Tramp's Brother, Where You Bound. I didn't even know the band was together this late into the 80s. I thought they bailed around 81, 82. And I was shocked to see that they were still around for a couple more years after this. 
Well, it's funny. It's also Super Tramp is a band that I was never really aware of outside of like a reference in the film Evil Alien Conquerors. And <laughs> at some point, the fact I, that you know such I, an obscure movie that was like blockbuster <laughs> exclusive, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, not only that is it's all that movie is is an ad for Super Tramp. Uh, Crystal Geyser and Sun Chips and uh, Smirnoff Ice. That's and, all the movie is. And I am the Great Krogar. <laughs> yes, it is. It is a great film. If anyone, if you can find it, check it out. It is one of the best worst movies ever. Made. Yeah, two dumbasses try to take over the universe, and they're just completely incompetent. <laughs> but it's eventually I went. Okay, I need a. I should actually hear some Super Tramp and. I have heard Supertramp songs before, just never knew, you know, never knew that that was them. Yeah. Well, I got them and... confused for a long time, and it seems silly now, but Steely Dan, for some reason in my head when I was a kid, I got them confused, but they don't sound anything alike now as an adult. Oh, no. I don't even know where I got that from. It's crazy. Well, because they're that weird mix of prog, of prog rock, but then they have some uh, little bit of poppiness to them, too, so you kind of get... I can I can see where where you would get that Steely Dan thing, even though yeah, there's nothing. I was gonna say Supertramp's closer to like ELO than Steely Dan. Yeah, oh yeah, much much. So. Yeah, I've owned Breakfast and, in America. I had that on vinyl, and that's the one that I really know. So I, for some reason, it just for me, and there's no there's no hits off of the last couple albums. It's just them kind of like, hey, this is our final run. Let's go for it. It's a good album. It's not a great album, but I, I still enjoyed it. And this, this like, I kind of fell in love when I heard when I heard stuff off this album because like Cannonball is just is a hell of a great prog rock track, you know. You got Better Days, which is so poignant right now, you know, considering how dark everything is. Uh, I have no love. idea what you're talking about. What do you mean? <laughs> oh, oh, you know, just because we're in the, isn't in America the great again? Didn't we keep it great? <laughs> Yeah, and you also have uh, the title track, which is a 16 minute epic, tr- you know, song. It's got uh, Pink Floyd's David Gilmore on it. You got Thin Lizzy, Scott Gorham. I mean, and it's again also kind of uh, kind of pointed too because it's all about the Cold War and we're kind of in one again. Yeah. It seems. <sighs> Except now, cold is emotional. They don't need to feel things for other people, sons of bitches. I don't know where I turned into Charlton Heston from Planet of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, this, like, my God, like, it just, there's so much stuff on here that ended up just just kind of going into my, uh, one of my, you know, current rotations, because I just had to keep listening to some of these things. Yeah, there's a couple of years that I've never heard before that have become... Uh, constant plays over the last month. Here's my problem. Is, like I said, the reason I probably forgot about one of these albums is because I listened to this a month ago and then I just kind of moved on to other things. Yeah, my... I had... Uh, like, I had... Since we're in in the process of kind of moving but not kind of moving because we're not leaving the place we're at at the moment but having to get our stuff out of uh, storage, it was a little more difficult to... To, to listen to these way how I normally do, so I had to find ways around it to actually yeah. stream the thing. So my notes are a little a little less than usual, but, uh, you know, yeah, I, I'm at least very happy that I got a chance to, to get through everything. My turn? 
It is your turn. Okay, you're going to have to do that. When you're done, you got to tell me your awkwardness. <laughs> um, so my first selection, and I don't even know if you're going to like this, but I love this album. But I was like, I don't know if this is too off the rails for your taste. But Silvertone by Chris Isaac, his debut album is just amazing. And I think most of his stuff is amazing. He's had a couple albums where I can't really get into it because it goes too ballady. Um, but when he goes like... Elvis-influenced, rockabilly, darker-tone kind of thing, um, I'm completely down for it. Well, I, was, I really I did dig the album. I'll say this. Uh, there are two songs in it that, you know, it's like, two, I was sorry, I should say, I was two songs in, and I was just loving the kind of, like, weird gothic feel. Yeah. Because you had this, uh, you know, you got mel- all these melancholic tones, you got this, uh, this etherealness to a lot of these tracks. I will, as a complaint, and this is Son not, of a badge, you quit. Necessarily, <laughs> not necessarily a complaint, uh, but they do, the songs do at a point kind of start blending into each other. Yeah, yeah. Well, but he was not, so young back then that I just don't think he knew to, well, I guess albums are like that back then. It's so hard to find an album where it mixes things up. Yeah, and well, that's the thing. is like, it's not a bad thing because the songs are solid. So it it's good like music to put on while you're doing you know like studying or something. Yeah, it's the curse of the Ramones where yeah, they're great songs but sometimes you kind of fade away halfway through. Yeah, it's like I want to say it's like where was it uh like funeral was it like lonely ones unhappiness tears and gone riding kind of kind of all kind of faded into that thing and then it was like what's pretty girls don't cry pops up then all of a Oh, I'm sorry, no, I'm sorry, it's Gone Right, and it's the one where everything just kind of, boom, went went back and... Uh, yeah, it was, well, it's too many ballads in a row, it's too many slow songs. But, yeah, it's, but yeah, I did dig the album, I really, I really enjoyed it. And, like, I think the only thing I knew of Chris Isaac before that is, what, Wicked Game? Yeah, that's his one big hit, and then Bad Bad Thing, or whatever, the baby did a bad, bad thing from... Um... Eyes Wide Shut, or I think it's, I think it was popularized in Eyes Wide Shut, I think it's from a previous album, but he, you know, he's known for being an actor in some cult stuff, and he's always been on the fringe, he had a TV show on Showtime and uh, uh, VH1 for like three or four years, and um, yeah, he's always been a guy that's on the fringe, but he's still, every album is fucking great in its own way, I just, I, for me personally, I just don't care for the ballads that much, but they're not bad, it just, the slower stuff kind of makes it go to sleep. Yeah, I still, like I said, I still give this thing two thumbs up. Cool. That are not We're soon now. Thank they're not, you. The non copyright. The <laughs> two thumbs up. Two twangs up. Boing boing. <laughs> but yeah, definitely. But I definitely think it was definitely worth it. Yeah, he's gonna make it a few more times throughout the years on this. Um, I actually have never even heard his first few albums. I started listening uh, in the '90s, and uh, God, I would love to see him live. I've seen Dwight Yoakam live, and I think they're both kind of like those revivalist original country sound instead of. Uh, you know, cosmopolitan country during the 80s. They're almost, um, like the way we treat Wilco now is their alternative country. Okay, yeah. Nah, but he still has a darker twang to it. Who's the one who sings? Oh, Nick Cave. He reminds me of, like, uh, he has oh, a little of that no, flavor. Cave, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, birthday, yeah, birthday party and uh, the bad, oh, sorry. Yeah, and the bad seeds, all that. Yeah. All right, what's your next album? Album, not film. Nice. <laughs> New Order's Low Life. This is a good one. I really enjoyed this one. Yeah. I, this is a movement I never listened to before. I mean, I guess I've heard the singles on the radio, but the dance, uh, modern rock movement that happened what last year is when it started to take over for new wave. Um, I am just in it. I love it. 
Yeah, because that's the thing. It's like New Order was this band that sprung up from the remains of the post-punk proto-goth band Joy Division. You know, because when Ian Curtis uh, committed suicide, they didn't want to necessarily stop. And you can kind of see that in the first New Order album, because that's very much a uh, continuation of Joy Division's kind of sound. Then you get a little more of a dancey-ish thing in their second one. But this is really where New Order kind of becomes New Order. I mean, yes, before this, they did have uh, Blue Monday. Okay, I was going to ask you, what are they famous for? And I started humming that, that feels like you do. Da, 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 da. Who, re- who redid that song? Was it Orgy? Orgy does yeah. does the cover of that. But it's like this one. It's uh, Blue Monday, True, uh, True Faith, which is my favorite song of theirs. And... God, there's got to be there's one more and I'm trying to remember what the hell that oh uh ah it's off it's oh that's a good title uh, for a song ah bizarre, uh, number one is yeah uh, bizarre love triangle <laughs> bizarre love triangle okay. that's that's the other uh the other the three big songs of theirs <laughs> would you, would you love to name your band that every time you're coming to the stage ah! <laughs> you know that Bobcat Goldberg well, introduce you every time. <laughs> Well, is that the, the idea of like groups like the band or the who? The the, the the yeah. <laughs> but but my god, like this has I think one of my favorite instrumentals in anything with Elgia. Uh, god, what's that song? That's uh, that little uh, instrumental track that they have. Oh, in, oh, like, I'm sorry. I think you said yeah. there was an instrument called the Elgia. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, sorry. Never mind. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Perfect Kiss, Sunrise, all those tracks are amazing. It's so, it's, I mean, I like Morrissey and stuff, or not Morrissey. Who were they before Morrissey again? Before he went off on his own? Oh, uh, The Smith. The Smith. The Smith. I, I like that music, but it doesn't make me want to bounce. And New Order makes me bounce. Yeah, I said, like, this is totally where they where all that sound really kind of clicks. And it 100% works, too. That's, like, it's kind of like how we're talking about in the last, in the last episode with uh, Depeche Mode. Where they're kind of discovering where you know where their sound is really going to be yeah so what do you got um i think i chose this i am not sure and i'm gonna have to look this up i apologize hooters nervous night i wrote it i don't remember listening to it yeah looking at you yeah you gave me that one and it's it was just very generic rock it was i couldn't find find a fifth one because at the last minute i just could not find beat farmers so i just chose this because it was pleasant enough yeah, it's like, I, I felt like I might as well be listening to Rick Springfield or something. Shut up! Like, How dare you! <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I like Day by Day, but I got, I really kind of got pissed off with All You Zombies. See, I love that one! Why? Why'd you get pissed off? Well, okay, it's this nice little track musically, but then there's all this religious stuff that I didn't think really fit with the chorus. Oh. So it either, so he turns the song into like a Christian insult track by essentially calling religious people zombies, or saying that or it ends up like, uh, you know, or stating that Christ is the one true savior, and that's when the, you know, because the zombies don't have to hide their faces. Or it's a uh, Christian martyr complex track because it also kind of seems like all the believers have to hide themselves, but through Christ, you, you know, we can, you know, don't have to hide our faces anymore. Oh, see, I just listened it's... to it once, and I thought it was about monsters. I, I listened to it like at 2 o'clock in the morning when I was trying to go back to sleep. So this one is a wash. I just, I was like, hey, I can listen to this at 2 o'clock in the morning and be fine with it. I couldn't think, sorry. So... <laughs> no, well, just, and it could have just been the the mood that I was in, but it's just like, I'm going, this song is just way too damn preachy. 
All right, moving on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's like I think the album's fine. I just I could not one hundred percent dig it, and that's and apparently that was that's All You Zombies like the biggest song off that album. No, no, no. And we danced was massive. And we danced. I think, da, 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 da. No. So I think I, re- I remember. Well, I remember reading something about that. Okay. One, so I, I mean, again, it doesn't mean that was that And We Dance wasn't big. Uh, so me next. Yep. Woo! Killing Joke's Nighttime. Oh my god, how did nobody tell me? Nobody told me. I knew about 80s, and that was such a great song. You know, um, but I'd never listened to him before, and I was like, holy shit, I listened to this album four times in one day. <laughs> I fucking well, loved it. This is 100% Killing Joke at their best. Like, you know, I, had, I did their debut album, and you kind of have this very harsh, dark, you know, industrial thing. And this ends up becoming like a balance of those early industrial sensibilities and the contemporary pop sound. Right. Did they go back to, because I was listening to just the mix of them, and it seemed like they went back to that sound, the industrial sound later. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, this is, this and the album pre- preceding it, uh, Fire Dances, are effectively the, like, the I think probably the poppiest and uh, most out there they've been. Then they kind of went back underground. Yeah. And, you know, it's like in the 2000s, then they really kind of picked back up really hardcore with industrial stuff. Love Like Blood is one of the greatest mood romance songs. I mean, it's just, it feels gothic. Like, just this big, epic, old tale of love. And uh, it just, I, I put that on repeat a few times. I just absolutely adore it. Oh, yeah. That one, Multitudes is amazing. Uh, Kings and Queens. Yeah, that was great, too, yeah. It's just like, yeah, I. it's really hard to find a bad song on that album. But, yeah, that's... I, I This was one of those ones where I'm going, 100%, this is going to be on my list. Yeah, and I was mad at myself for not knowing about it, but thank you. Because I don't know if I would ever would have listened to any of their albums. I just knew that one song. Yeah, uh, it's definitely, like, that's what the point of the show is, right? Yep. So, what is your third album? Eurythmics. Be Yourself Tonight. Ah. Oh my god, this one was great. <laughs> what I Lied to You is so fucking epic. It's so layered. So, and the video is amazing, by the way. Uh, all their videos are pretty groundbreaking and amazing. And you think that's the topper. And then track four, Sisters Are Doing It For Themselves oh. with guest Aretha Franklin knocks the fucking door down and says, no, this which, is, wow. What's, what's funny is I know that song because a industrial group called Rosetta Stone did a cover of it. So I heard that version first and when, the, when I started kicking in, I'm going, I know this song. And I'm going, why do I know this song? I'm going, I know this name. Who the hell did this? Who the hell did this song? And then I'm looking, trying to find it, and eventually going, oh, "Okay, Rosetta Stone. It wasn't Raisin Blacker and these other people I was thinking of." Like, damn, this song is so great. I think people forget that the rhythmics were huge. They, I mean, everybody they talk about it is like, "Oh yeah, well they did that song that Marilyn Manson remade," and that's all people know of our generation. I was like, "No, no, you got to go back. You're talking some. They're they're even more epic sometimes than Queen." You know, and Queen was known for a huge sound, and it's just something about their layered, and it's just Annie Lennox and David Stewart basically, right, putting it together. Yeah. Well, I, and well, in the case of this, there is bass by uh, Dean Garcia, who was on, who uh, did the industrial group Curve. So 
some some in, some other additional awesome input, but yeah, considering that it's basically just those two. Yeah, it's just mind-boggling how good it is, and it just sounds expensive, but I'm sure it wasn't because they just knew their sound. I, it is a shame that they broke up for a while because I don't particularly care for Annie Lennox's music on her own because it doesn't, it's just too soft in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I There's stuff that I've heard that I've liked of hers, but uh, overall, yeah, it's, I think, just the... I, I will take you Eurythmics your, your uh, over over solo. Yeah, I could go the rest of my life without ever hearing Walking on Broken Glass again because that song never stopped playing on the radio. <laughs> All right, your turn. All right, we are looking at my next one is Sisters of Mercy. Oh, First God. and last and always. It was pretty good. I, I wasn't in love with it like the other two, but um, uh, I enjoyed it. Well, this was the thing. Uh, when we did the split and I had to start kind of uh, searching for something, I I sat there and was like, okay, what can I do? Crap, this is on. This is not uh, through in the early half of the year. This is not in the early half of the year. This is not in the early half of the year. It's like, well, there is Sisters of Mercy. I do like, I do like their debut album, but uh, I wanted to save save it for their second album. Because that's where really all the hits are. Uh huh. But I went and re-listened to it and went, you know, well, for starters, this is basically when I think, at least vocally, when I think about goth music, this is the band I think of. Because Andrew Eldritch's voice is just this beautiful, deep, mournful drone. And then as I'm sitting there listening to it, I'm going, shit, this is actually better than Floodland, really. Like, it doesn't have the hits. But these songs are so solid that you can't, like, Black Planet, Walk Away, and Rock in a Hard Place, truly, I think, are, like, the highlights of the album. And, God, there's just, it's one of those things where I go, I felt silly also, because I thought about, like, I've been, I feel like I've been underrepresenting goth music, considering how much of a goth I was in, in, in high school. Really? Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm going, crap, I haven't had any Christian death on here or anything, so, yeah. Sisters of Mercy is, really is, when I think about goth music, this is what I, what I immediately, co- you know, comes to mind first. Well, you and I are polar opposites. <laughs> so generic <laughs> rock. Seriously, it was, it's just so ridiculous. Like, close, it was punk rock, and that was it. Uh, when I talk to Andrew now, he's like, how have you not heard of these bands? I like, well, grew up in Indiana, a small town. We didn't have much exposure. <laughs> should be glad I even know what Sky is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, is it my turn? It is your turn. All right, Talking Heads, Little Creatures. Basically, they're only they're they're in a band where I would say a greatest hits collection is where you're gonna find the best. Um, I mean, that's a cliche, but it just seems like a lot of their albums start off strong and meander. This is the only one I believe that's solid from beginning to end, and it, it, it's the only point because after this, they go downhill. They have no more hits really except Wild Wild Life, and then they break up. Well, that's the thing is, I I kind of found this album yeah as a meh. But it's got you know Creatures of Love and Road to Nowhere, which are you know amazing songs. And it, but the thing is, even when I say it's meh, the thing is, the odd it is an odd album. It is unique as hell. You know, it's those are the sort of things where you just go, 
I respect the hell out of it whenever someone tries to do something different. Whether or not I feel it's successful or not is another thing, but that and that's always taste. Yeah. You know, down to taste more than anything else. But well, yeah, it, this it's... is a curse of the eighties though. Well but and prior to that is when albums were coming out every single year from a band because records only held eight to ten tracks. So they had to keep pushing and pushing and pushing, and I just feel like this is the only one where they're really having... It sounds like they're having fun goofing around, where I just keep feeling like all the previous albums, they have two or three really strong songs, and by the time you get to the second half of the, the album, it's just filler. Well, that's the thing. Is that That's a big thing in music in general. You Kind of like you would have the singles that you would write to put out, and those would be obviously things that you'd want to sell an album off of, mm-hmm. but usually it's you're writing singles and then those singles end up having to get collected and you put them out on, you know, put them together with whatever B sides effectively you have to, uh, to fill up, to fill up your thing. Again, it's kind of why usually you have that A side B side thing anyway, where A sides are usually the, the stronger tracks B side, it's kind of where you throw, you know, where you dump the rest of your stuff on it. Yeah, it's just it's kind of a shame though, because I've heard some albums that are just top notch all over, or they or they mix up the tracks, like oh here's a strong one, here's a strong one, here's a middling one, you know, and they keep it level. Whereas so many albums, you can just skip the second half, and it's it's so annoying. Yeah, I know, and but that's that's kind of how this this album feels to me is we wrote all of our singles already. You know, like, we've got all the songs, and we just kind of held on to a few ones here and there. Yeah. You know, obviously that's, know. obviously that's not what happened, but it kind of feels like, okay, we, we're we creatively, you know, we're pre- creatively spent, so we're just going to kind of fill in the rest of this one. Yeah, for me, I, still I, gonna I, be... for me I disagree. This is yeah. the only one that I can listen to from beginning to end without, like, just going, ah, oh, all right, I'm done. Yeah, it's like as I said, they Talking Heads have always written interesting music, though. So yep, it's just one of those bands yeah. where honestly, a greatest hits collection, and you're good. You don't need to. And, and I hate people who are like, yeah, the guy says you're not a real fan. Yeah, actually, I'm a real fan because I won't sit through the bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it's like I know, I know what I want to hear, and I don't need, I don't need some of the fillers, yeah, filler I, tracks. And I almost wonder this. if the band would prefer it this way because. Think about Kiss. They're always pushing their greatest hits collections because I think they know that half their albums are just bullshit. They have one hit track and that's it. And they're contractually obligated to deliver, 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 deliver. And they probably weren't happy with a lot of that stuff. Well, Kiss is delusional, so maybe they were. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> well, I, I imagine everything, talk... everything Gene Simmons did was brilliant. Yeah. Oh no, no. But I mean, I imagine David Byrne was not completely happy with being forced out an album every single year. Yeah, that I could imagine that 100% because that's the sort of thing that I I wouldn't want. You know, you after a while, if you're not like I said, I, I was going to use the term creatively bankrupt, but that uh, kind of sounded that sounded more messed right. up. Right, that sounds creatively and, exhausted. Yeah, it's I I think by this point, yeah, you're probably seeing people who are tired and just. I can't do this. I need to recharge yeah, somehow. You're, you're, it's not just the fact they're putting out an album every single year, which has to take like a quarter of the year period just to put together and record and, and put out. Then you're promoting, promoting, promoting. You're on tour constantly. Then guess what? After six months of touring, you got to get back in the fucking studio and get the next album together. You have to be exhausted after doing that for a decade. Yeah, I. Well, we when we were talking about uh, Ki- uh, not Kiss, the Cure. <laughs> we were talking about the cure, and you know, was when we got to that 
their album Pornography, it was, I'm Robert Smith. I am so tired. I can't do this. I do not want to put a bullet in my head, so I'm going to end the cure on possibly the most nihilistic note that I can. Whoa. And this is and this is us saying goodbye. Yeah. Which then lasted like a year. <laughs> <laughs> I miss all I might. But you know, it was just enough time to kind of okay, I can I think I can write some more uh, music for my own for this project yeah. again. Alright, what's your last album? My final album is Hell Awaits by Slayer. All right, so the episode's over, and have a good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking, I don't understand Slayer. It's okay if you do. I know everybody loves Slayer, but of the big four, I can't believe I'm shaking my drink in front of the microphone. You can hear the ice. I apologize, everybody. Um, uh, the big four, of course, Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, and Slayer, and every time, I'm just like, I love the first three, I don't get Slayer. I'll take Testament. Can I substitute Testament or somebody else? Uh, Armored Saint? Well- well, Testament, I, I will always say, if there was the big five, Testament would have been would have been part of that. But the thing is, this album is really Slayer being Slayer. Like, truly being Slayer. You keep saying it wrong, by like, the way. You're mispronouncing it. It's called Slayer. Slayer. <laughs> yeah. I just, uh, I love the guitar work. I love uh, everything except his voice. It, I can't understand what he's saying. It sounds just horrifying i know people love that genre it ain't for me but i do appreciate the instrumentals well it's a big part of this is also slayer is of of the big four bands slayer's the one that's really been the most musically consistent like effectively once they uh they released their first album it was you know fine kind of venom-ish uh thing but then they Released his little EP right before this called Haunting the Chapel, and that effectively went, okay, we're going to become a, a thrash band more so than anything else. And they figured out exactly where they wanted to be. And from this album on, you could you could literally take this album and have released it after, uh, like, let's see, uh, God Hates Us All, and it would sound, and you wouldn't be surprised. Like, and that sounds it sounds like a like a uh, negative thing, and in some ways it kind of is. But how many bands truly, once they find the sound and they know exactly what they do, can actually consistently put out material that that rocks this friggin' hard the entire time? Yeah, it's like, well, yeah, town- everybody gets I think gets nervous and they start changing with the times because they think they're gonna be left behind. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. The Ramones never really changed their sound, but the world moved on. But then all of a sudden they boomerang back and realize, oh, hey, for the last 10 years, the Ramones have still kicked ass. Let's come back to them. Yeah, I mean, the, the worst you can say is there's a, uh, okay, what is it? Not, uh, I want to say it's Diablos in Musica or something like that, uh, if I remember, try to remember the album title. That's the one where everyone's going, oh, it has a new metal sound. Ugh. And honestly, it's not that good of an album anyway. Like, hell, I will even say this. This album, I love this album. It doesn't crack my top five. But this is a band that's been around for over 30 years. So, I mean, <laughs> they got enough, they have enough albums and uh, material to, yeah, you know. This probably be like maybe six or seven, if I was to think about it, on my, my list of all Slayer albums. Actually, you know, probably six. 
Alright, so that's your last one. My last one, I'm not sure you like Weird Al, so we're testing the patience here. Uh, do you like Weird Al? I do like Weird Al. Okay, good. Because this is top-notch silliness for me. This is the first album I think that I... Uh, I think I got this before Power Station for my birthday, and I was just like, okay, maximum silliness. I played this thing nonstop on a loop until the tape wore out. Um, it is my favorite Weird Al album. He's had some great ones. He's had some duds. But 85, uh, and a lot of it's because, you know, the nostalgia, the emotional state. But I still think that he made some amazing songs. And, sure, he's always has the the, the parody songs, the, the cover uh, songs, I would say. Um, yeah. they're, they're fine. Like a Surgeon. I, I hate Like a Virgin anyway. I think it's a stupid song. So I, I could go without that. But it is a funny gag on it. But Dare to be Stupid is the best Devo song. (laughs) It's not a Devo song. Well, it's the thing. I thinking about this album and then I was end up listening to the, his, the previous two. And this really is, I think where weird Al actually becomes weird. Al. Yeah. Well, he starts doing, he, he adapts to the sound differently than he does in the first two albums. And his originals are so much better. Yeah, because it, it's the first album especially is very much a novelty album. I mean, you you could have you could have it came came out and then it would come and go and that would have been it. Uh, in three D, that's the second one if I remember right. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. He that's where he, he does that polka medley for the first time. Right, and well, and then so Nature he, Trail to Hell is an epic uh, original where he, you start seeing him experiment more with his own stuff. Yeah, so it's like it's kind of like he's putting these things together, and then yeah, this this album one hundred percent becomes the the like if you're gonna ever think of Weird Al, this is where you really start to see Weird Al. Yeah, and hell, I mean, I think in three D had to eat it. So I mean, one of his biggest hits was in was on the previous album. And I think this is the but, first year he had Al TV because MTV would give him a special every time he had a new album. And uh, I believe this is the first time he got a whole hour. And they replayed that thing like crazy. Now, there's... I won't say... I don't think all the parodies work. No, that's the weakest part, I think. Yeah, it's like, I want a new duck. I I don't particularly like that parody. But it is part of probably the greatest funnier die sketch ever. Where... uh, Al and Huey Lewis are parodying oh. the scene from American Psycho. <laughs> yeah, I remember that now. Christian Bale is explaining how underrated Huey Lewis is. And so uh, you have Huey Lewis basically as Christian Bale, you know, uh, so they're talking about how how American Psycho is this underrated film. And Al's just, you know, uh, God, who's, who's the actor that, that played that part? I can't remember. Yeah, but he's basically he's that, he's that dude. And... Then Huey Lewis goes and you know chops him over the axe. He's like, "Parody that, you son of a bitch," <laughs> or something like that. Um, and what, it's yeah. One more minute is just, and this is where he starts getting demented. Like Nature Trail of Hell is oh. a little dark, but one more minute is so fucking crazy. And the video was bananas, but I remember listening to this the very first time, going, "Holy shit!" Is he talking about walking over broken glass and, and all this stuff? Like <laughs> this horrifying stuff. And he'll he'll do uh, parodies like this throughout his career where they're really fucking dark. Oh yeah, well, uh, and also say this. Uh, it also has this is the life. Oh god, what fun is that? Is, is from uh, Johnny Dangerously. So, yeah. Now I did see. Did you uh, read about uh, girls just want to have lunch? 
I didn't read about it, but um, every day that plays at work, and I always sing girls just want to have lunch instead. <laughs> well, I I really dislike, I mean, as much as I'm not as big a fan of I Want to Duck, it's at least entertainingly, you know, there. Yeah. You know, but as far as I'm concerned, girls just want to have lunch. He very much obviously kind of phones it in. And it makes sense because he was actually forced by the label to do that parody. Oh, wow. I didn't know that because it does seem like he's uncomfortable doing it. It's like, oh, I got nothing for this. I'm making fun of girls who eat too much. That's fucking stupid. And and nowadays that that just seems offensive. Yeah, it's just this very obviously he doesn't really want to do it. So he's even, you know, we we all know part of his bit is kind of being abrasively annoying in in his voice. Where he has Mm -hmm. the ah kind of sound. And this is turned up to 11. Yes. To an extent that you're just like, no, why why are you doing this to us? This is a war cry, Al. Yeah, it's like he didn't want them to release this as a single. By the way, I have a co-worker named Terry. And you remember in UHF, his girlfriend's name is Terry. And I love to annoy her by going, Terry, pick up the phone! Pick up the phone, Terry! <laughs> but this one also does, I think, this is his only straightforward uh, cover. Yeah, I was about to say the same the... thing. Yeah, George of the Jungle. Uh, yeah, I remember just loving that. It's just got this killer bass. Boom, 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 boom. A very stupid cartoon, by the way. Not a bad movie, but yeah, it's a, it's his only, I think, straight cover. Yeah, because I know he does. Uh, he did uh, Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, but he did it as a as a polka song. Yeah, but he, it's like everything in it is lyrically straight. He doesn't parody the song, but he is you know, kind of goofing while he does it. So, yeah, I think this is the only actual straightforward, straightforward parody, uh, not parody, but cover. The, uh, the Hooked on Polkas, if he has an album and he doesn't put a polka mix on it, I'm going to freak out because it's been consistent for, what, 35 years now. Well, yeah. it's been a while since he had an album. I don't know if he's going to do another album. He does, like, separate singles now. Yeah, oh, did you hear that, uh, the one he did for uh, the election. Yep, that was pretty good. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, the hooked on polkas with uh, bits of things like "What's Love Got to Do with It," uh, "Sharp Dressed Man," "99 Luft Balloons," "Relax." I always remember that one. I listened to that one the most because I had so much fun listening to the songs I already knew. Ooh, state of shock. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it. It is definitely of now. I won't go with my not my favorite Weird Al, but it's definitely got some of my absolute favorite Weird Al songs on it. Oh, that's good. We ended it well. Yay! Didn't like Slayer. So I don't like Slayer. <laughs> I too sensitive for my ears. I gotta know the words. No, it's just I don't know. <laughs> I'm not gonna live this one down forever. I just know. Nah, it's gonna a, really, it's, it's gonna a, really suck in 1997 though. When I'm like, should I put Smash Mouth on here, even though they're pieces of shit now? And then you were like, Michael, I quit. <laughs> like you maybe listen to Smash Mouth again. <laughs> oh, in 1999, guess what made the list? <laughs> Every time you put Slayer on the list, I'm putting Smash Mouth. <laughs> oh yeah. Well then, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you with uh, Limp Biscuit. So oh there. fuck you! I'm putting in new kids on the block. <laughs> Eh. Hanging top. Oh, I'm listening to these I'll, five Lily White I'll, pan. Just 
Come on, they're talking about we're, and you're gonna get stumped. No, you're not. Shut up, your kids on black. Oh no, I'll, I'll uh, counter that with uh, some Marky Mark. Ah! <laughs> and some <laughs> Tiffany. Take that. Oh, oh, you were doubling down. You can't have a double <laughs> dose. No, 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 no. Okay, so then it's gonna be um. Fuck you, win. <laughs> hey, Margarita. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make you listen to Louis uh, uh, Lubega. <laughs> oh, no, I have no problem with that. I'll give you some uh, Eiffel 65. Mm. Wait, what do they sing? Oh, they sing Barbie Blue? Girl. No, that's Aqua. Oh, okay. Actually, we're just so off topic. But yeah, I have to say this: this, is, this Aqua is, is actually better. Aqua <laughs> is so much better than you actually think of it. No, no, I love that are. song. I love that song. I love that video. It's so much fun because I don't think people understand that it's a spoof. It was just popular because it was a bubblegum song, oh, yeah. but I'm like, they're making fun of this bullshit. Yeah, uh, my fiance is a was a actually big fan of Aqua, and she ended up putting on the uh, the actual album. And I'm going, damn, it's actually really good. Oh uh, no, <laughs> really I solid. win! I got it. What's uh, LFO? Right, the uh, oh, oh. is, is oh, Chinese well, food makes me sick. Oh no! I'll, I'll counter that with the other LFO. Uh-oh. Give me the uh, in, give me the techno band, low frequency oscillation. What did they say? Uh, their biggest song is this little track called "Freak." Well, thankfully I don't know it, so my brain hasn't been triggered to rage. So I'm gonna let you go now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know what? We were gonna pause here and go into our next segment uh, and separate them. Why? Why do this? Why don't we just go ahead and put it together? Let's get together. Watch it. Let's do it. All right, video games in 1985. You're breathing heavily into your microphone, you creeper. You're making me sound like a, ah. you're going to ask me what my favorite ah. scary movie is. What are you wearing, Michael? What's your favorite scary movie? <laughs> What's your favorite scary movie? Swordfish. I had to tolerate all those toupees on John Travolta's head. I feel like... I feel like uh, um, What's the guy on Goonies when they put his hand into the blender? Not, not sloth. Oh, no. chunk. chunk. I feel like chunk. And, and then I hugged. I was. Ugh, ugh. <laughs> All right, let's go with 1985 in video games. You're leading. Oh, let's see what we got. Uh, first of all, there's a bunch of new companies that formed in 1985 that we all know of. Uh, how about Titus? The people who gave us the great and wonderful. Trash fire that is Superman 64. Oh, shit. <laughs> How dare you bring that up in my house? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got Codemasters, uh, who made uh, racing games like uh, Dirt and Colin McRae. They've, they came out this year. Uh, Westwood, who are, uh, if you're an RTS fan of Command & Conquer, the, that's them. Oh, boy, did I barely graduate college because of Command & Conquer Red Alert. So thank you, guys. Uh, Bethesda, of uh, current uh, Elder Scrolls and Fallout fame, amongst other things, uh, now owned, apparently owned by Microsoft. That was like the big talk of last month, wow. Yeah, and uh, Square, aka Squaresoft, aka maker of pretty much all my favorite games of uh, the Super Nintendo and PlayStation 1 era. So, a bunch of... Bunch of good game, uh, good companies uh, showed up. Uh, well, Titus, not the Sandy. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I never heard of Titus. You said that, and I was like, oh yeah, we all know, love them, whoever the hell they are. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, so, in the arcades, we got Metrocross, which uh, it is this uh, 
the guy who made uh, Zevius and Tower of Draga. Remember uh, Draga? No, I remember Zevius though. So, yeah, well, Draga was one that uh, it was a Japanese-only game that looked really, really cool. Had a whole bunch of like early uh, action RPG stuff. Oh, okay. This uh, this guy created an early uh, this platformer that is essentially the prototype to all those endless runner games, where it's like uh, like Mario Run or Temple Run and shit like that, where it's your character just constantly moving forward and you have to jump to avoid obstacles. And that's effectively what this game was, is your character's auto-running, and you have to move the joystick up and down and uh, hit a jump button in order to move obstacle and collect soda cans. Because, <laughs> you know, diabetes. <laughs> what the, and you need those deposits back. Yeah. But it's like, I've never seen this, but I... Oh, I never played in the arcade, I should say. But I looked at some of the gameplay, and yeah, it's like, it really is like games that we have now where just... Yeah, these old endless runners where it's just you got to keep going, and if you uh, crash or lose too many lives, you're done, and that's it. Now, Space mm-hmm. Harrier. Oh, I don't like Space ever... Harrier. I love Space Harrier. Yeah, third-person rail shooter where you're this jet-propelled guy with a plasma rifle. Uh, you're uh, propelled by the rifle, correct? It's a jetpack and a no. rock? Oh, okay. No, no, you have... No. Uh, Wait, yes, hold on. No? You say first person? I, no, I rem- no, I think I'm space. No, it's a third. Hmm. It's a third. It's a third person game because you're behind the dude. He's just you have him flying around the screen. I don't. I can't remember if he actually has a jetpack, jetpack, or if it's if he's just kind of flying and he has a little gun in his arm. Now, do you like these this style of flying games? Because I have trouble. My depth perception can't handle the movements correctly, like with Top Gun, and so that drives me bananas. So I usually have to have it, you know, top down. Well, I did uh, when I was when I was much younger, uh, but arcade-wise, this was the first game to use uh, 60-bit graphics, and you're flying around these like little surreal stages with all these uh, like creepy monsters and shit. Uh, it was originally designed to be a fighter plane simulator, hence Harrier. Oh right, yeah. But but due to you know technical limitations, they just scrapped that and just made the made it a weird dude. But here's the thing. I owned it on the Sega Master System. And that game did actually have all the 18 stages that were in the arcade. Wow. Just, you know, completely cut, you know, cut down so it could run. Right. Let's say the, the Master and, System was only 8 gigs, right? 8 bits, I mean? Yeah. It was, it was an 8-bit system. And, you know, very limited in what it could do. But as I recall, because I think I got to the end of the game, because I think I remember the boss rush. Because uh, that's like the the final stage is just oh all the bosses that you killed now you got to fight them all. Oh over. great! <laughs> so yeah, it that's a hell of a game, and I didn't realize it was one of the first sixteen bit games because I hadn't I'd only for the longest time I'd only associated it with the Master System, so it's a little eight bit glory. I can't believe you had but a Master System. You're it. literally the first person I've ever met that had one. Oh yeah, I have uh, lots of lots of wonderful memories of not having a Nintendo. <laughs> well, Nintendo games are so damn expensive. I only could only afford a few, so I would get bored and then just stop playing it. It's before you could just rent the games. If I remember the logic behind it, was my dad had uh, had the choice between the two, and I guess the Master System was more technically uh, powerful. Well, than the, the uh, cheaper one is. And it, yeah, it had there's a lot more stuff that could be done with it because you had like little card slots and stuff like that. So, 
he went he went with uh, I guess uh, potential power instead of uh, popularity. I can't believe now, I had this much tea and I can't wake up. Damn it! Oh, I have to twist my nipples and wake up. Oh! Okay, well, I'm awake. All right, well, hang on. <laughs> Awkward. That's the. That is that is what we call a transition. Hang on is the uh, is a. Uh, did you ever play that one? Yes, I did. Um, that's the motorcycle one, right? That's the motorcycle one, which was really really cool because, I mean, it, it's a fairly. It was also a 16-bit game. And fairly straightforward, you know, you're riding, you got a motorcycle, you got to make it to these goals, and uh, don't, you know, don't run out of time. But the gimmick behind it was the fact that if you found the the larger uh, version of the of the cabinet, you actually had a entire motorcycle that you get on and and ride. Yeah, so awesome! Is that one of the very first times you could do that? Like it, it wasn't just like a cabinet, uh, a sitting cabinet, like the way Star Trek and Star Wars was, where it was actually a mimic of the actual vehicle you were in. Yeah, but effectively, I think you had there was a couple of things like with periscopes and stuff, but that was about it. This is truly like, you know, you had full on uh, a gyroscope inside there that could actually register when you uh lean the bike left and right and everything so yeah. it's like the standard it was, now though every time you go to an arcade it seems like most of the games are interactive like that yeah any if you've got a racing game yeah you got something that you're sitting in and it moves and you get this uh this inner immersion that you never had before and this was said essentially the game that really made you know arcade like an arcade experience an experience a little it was like it was an event it was just kind of going out and having fun pumping in quarters into something. Yeah. And also, it's one of the few games where I don't really mention too much about video game music that often, but this is one of the few games that of that time that I really think had one of the most kick-ass soundtracks. You know, just Hiroshi Kawaguchi's music is so amazing in this. And this is kind of about the point where arcade games really did start to really think about music instead of just being repetitive loops yeah it ended up actually having you know themes and stuff like that now also speaking of gimmick controllers paperboy <laughs> i've never played this in the arcade so what did it have oh it had a uh your controller was actually like a little uh bike oh okay bike, uh, thing. i thought maybe you had an and... arm and you threw newspapers with it i was like <laughs> i didn't know <laughs> no but yeah, you're this paper boy. You got to deliver uh, the papers to your subscribers, but you can also vandalize the home of non-subscribers. Oh, nice! I didn't know you could do that. And it's over the course of this like seven-day week. Maybe I've you never know, played this game not... before. I may have only ever seen it played. I, I've played it, and it. I did not get into this one because, like, you have to avoid these obstacles. Like, you know, there's cars and dogs and stuff. And it didn't matter, like, you could even choose a difficulty level, or it's easy, medium, hard. It didn't really matter, because a car would come out and cream you, dog would come out and tack you, you just fall over. Yeah. The it, was, like the Back to the Future skating round? Jeez. Yeah, easy my ass. <laughs> this is insane. Yeah. Now, it's like, I probably, because of the age that I was trying to play it at, I didn't really bother reading the prompts at the start of the game, so... You know, it's probably my fault for not actually understanding the yeah, objective of the game. that's my curse, just... too. I never read the instructions. I just go. Yeah, it's like it... But that's kind of the problem, is that if you have need to have all these things of how to score and how to keep uh, the houses wanting to uh, or keep your uh, 
uh, your paper route successful. It's like it's it's too complex for a for a dumb kid like me. Give me a racing game. Give me a punchy punch <laughs> fighting game. But yeah, but like, and also as far as I'm concerned, the handlebar controller was kind of crappy. Still, it's kind of fun though when they if give it's... you that kind of. Like, I guess it would be called a peripheral, um, something to interact with instead of just a, a joystick and buttons. I always find those interesting. Yeah, it, that's the reason why I'd always wanted to try. It's like, oh, it's got the, it's got a bike handlebar. That's got to be, that's got to make this game fun. No. It's a trap. Not really. <laughs> now, Commando also came out this year. Now, it's not based off the Schwarzenegger film. Which I would have assumed since it's 85. But it might as but... well be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, but you are Super Joe! And you are a one-man <laughs> army with unlimited ammo out to kill the opposing army. At the end of each screen, you have to fight this, like, horde of enemies until you can continue. I mean, it's not groundbreaking, but shit, this game was fun. <laughs> yeah, well, I love, I love, just, it's, it's the, the rule of Mega Slug, where, or not metal, metal Slug, where it's just, a, hey, blow up everything in sight, go, 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 go. Yeah, and that's just like, it's just a top-down game. You just got all these, you know, it's like, like any kind of shooter of that time, except this just, I don't know, I think this game was just a lot more fun than some of these other ones. I love top-down. I there. think it's severely underrated, and no one really does it anymore outside of RPGs. Yeah, unfortunately. Now, also, now you've given me a segue. Speaking of an RPG, Gauntlet. Oh, I love Gauntlet. I love playing the arcade. Four player, yeah, it's so much fun. Yeah, four-player dungeon crawling hack and slash. You and up to three companions battle hordes of monsters that... Uh, and you're cast as one of four heroes. You got the warrior, the wizard, the Valkyrie, and the elf. Now, it's kind of fucked up in retrospect that the non-human character is the only one singled out by race. <laughs> that is pretty awful. Yeah, I'm a hunter. I don't know, but that's kind of fucked up. That he's just and elf, that subhuman elf. <laughs> what is the one that was on uh, the Genesis that was uh, sword and sorcery? It wasn't Gauntlet. It was, um... Oh, no, no, you're thinking of Golden Axe. Golden Axe. I don't know why, for the longest time I got those two confused, and apparently I just did it again. I was like, wait, isn't Gauntlet on the Sega? But I was like, no, that's a top-down, uh, Golden Axe is a side-scroller, so, yeah. Forget it, just, yeah, no, uh, I'm stupid. Gold, Move on. Yeah, Golden Axe <laughs> was in arcades, but I think that's, uh, a couple of years, like a year or two in the future. Yeah. Because that was 16, But, uh, probably, there's... Yeah. yeah. Gauntlet had no, uh, bosses. All you did, you had a... You did kind of have a time limit, which was based on your health. Basically, in order to get to level's end, uh, you just got to get there before you uh, ran out of health. And you could refill it by eating food. Or, if you're a dick, you can destroy the food. <laughs> you have destroyed and, your food. Isn't that, that had a synthesized voice, always, right? Yeah, they had, the, they had a little voice that would tell you, like, you know, Valkyrie needs food. I always feel like it was yelling you at know. me. If I remember correctly, it was just like, You have destroyed your food! Uh. Pretty much, yeah. It would it would basically mock you for uh, for being bad. Occasionally, it might say something nice, but it was either going to die or uh, you destroyed food. Was it thought was usual things? And but what's nice about this game is you could keep bringing your characters back to life just by pumping in more quarters. So there was never like you as long as you had enough time, like in a continued type screen. Yeah, you could keep going for as long as you had money. 
frankly, that's the only way I can stand arcade games anymore. On the other, I just want to keep going. I just want to keep going. Now, on the other hand, this next game, fuck this game. It is the hardest <laughs> game of all time. Okay. I, I, it's Ghosts and Goblins. Oh, Jesus. Okay, that is the most is, appropriate response ever. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It is a platform created in the bowels of hell to cause misery to all who play it. Oh my god. You're, you're Arthur. You, you're undergoing this futile quest to save Princess Prim Prim, who has been kidnapped by demons. But you're never going to save the princess. Well, you have because no the fucking game chance. is too damn difficult. <laughs> yeah, you have no chance. It's Capcom, right? These fucking assholes make the <laughs> hardest games ever. It's the Capcom game, yeah. Uh. It's like, you can only take two hits before you die. And that happens. It, it happens so fast yeah. that you can't even believe that it that it actually like you got hit the first time. Oh well, the first time I played it, I thought I was playing a and, demo. I was like, "Oh, this is how you're supposed to." Be. Oh, well, that was the first. Okay. <laughs> I too, I do not think I've actually ever beaten the first level of 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 this game. Now, it's like even if you do manage to beat this game, you get to the final boss. Guess what? You didn't beat the game. Now you have to play the game over again. On a harder difficulty, ah. in order to actually win. It's like I seriously, this game was created by the devil. It sounds and, like uh, you would go to hell, and they're like, "Okay, you have a chance at heaven, but you have to beat ghosts and goblins, and you need to defeat it." You're like, "Yeah, I get to go to heaven." And you're like, "No, <laughs> here's the second round." <laughs> well, it's the thing is, okay, I I I know if you uh, the. Uh, as like mentioning how difficult games are by using like Dark Souls as a metric, but this game is worse. It's basically like trying to beat any of these like Blood Souls type games, but playing it, you know, playing all those games back to back on a DDR dance pad. Yeah, well, here's the thing: is with Ghosts and Goblins, it's unbelievably easy to understand. Its layout is so simple. It's not like frustrating games like E.T. or the well, basically any movie game, Dick Tracy, Ghostbusters. Those are all really frustrating because they're they're the way they set it up is fucking strange. Ghost and Goblins is set up like every other platformer, and it looks amazing. I love the look of it and design, and it's just impossible to play. Yeah, it. I mean, there's there's like a lot of games that are on the NES that kind of have that same issue where you have. You have such a tiny hitbox yeah. uh, to, well, to actually kill, uh, kill if, your... If you don't put in the code for 30 exactly. lives in Contra, it's fucking impossible. Yeah, exactly. And it's just... Yeah, there's a lot of these games that it's just... You have you have the most ridiculous... Ridiculously tiny way to actually take out your foes, yet they can they breathe on you just with a... <laughs> just lightly, and you'll fall over. Man, that must have sucked yeah. a lot of quarters. Sucked so many quarters right out of your pocket. Yes, I think I played Ghosts and Goblins once in the arcade. Most of my knowledge is is from having sat down and tried it on NES. But, yeah, it's like I know I've at least done it once in the arcade and just went, wow, that was a bad idea. Looks pretty, though. <laughs> now, leaving the arcade for a moment... Uh, and let's head, look at some console stuff. The NES was released in the North America, not nationwide. No. I, I, I know was, my uncle it, got it very early on. I don't know if it was 85, though, but I know it was, you know, with the robot. What was that called? Rob the Robot? Oh, uh, with Rob. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I know he got I, it I real early on, but I don't know if it was that 85 run because we lived in Indiana, and I'm pretty sure it was not available in Indiana. Yeah, there was, it was basically limited test markets. The only one that was specifically mentioned was there was some in New York. It's like I even don't know what the list of what was actually released on the rollout. I can I could tell you if I had written them down because I'm going to save this obviously for the actual rollout in North America, but I could could have told you what the games that came out in 86 were. Yeah. Black box. But, we'll but I do know two. I can I can tell you two for certain. And this this also is a little bit because I was in reading about this two okay two games for in particular we'll go into one in a little bit more detail but Super Mario Brothers one of the greatest games of all time actually did come out in 85 nice you know i can hum now, that again, song I, when to we anybody to... and they know what it is they know what it's from do, yeah do 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 dun 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 dun, dun. Now, if I sing the Mario song, they probably won't get it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, now it's like I don't necessarily want to go into too much detail on that till the next till '86. But yeah, uh, we did get we actually had Mario Brothers in '85. Uh, same with Duck Hunt, because that well, you know where you got the little zapper, you're shooting either ducks or clay things, and you got that little dickhead of a dog laughing at you every time you miss. Little bastard. The only yeah. game my mother has ever oh. played where she held the gun right on the screen. I was like, that's not how that works, Mom. <laughs> oh, but it but it does work if you're, if you're good. I you know, but it's cheating. You can't get right next to the screen. But what what brings up me uh, kind of kind of looking at how the NES had a had a uh, rollout was if we jump back to the arcade for a moment, and I feel a little bit bad. I should. I did not see this in my research when we did 1984. Uh-huh. Uh There was a series of arcade cabinets that Nintendo released called the Versus System. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember those. I've, I still see them every once in a blue moon. Yeah. It's the one where they had different it's, games in a circular cabinet, right, or something like that. Uh, not a circular cabinet, but they were arcade versions of NES titles. But I mean, the way they designed and, it wasn't like a hexagonal where it was more than one screen per console. It was uh, our cabinet. I mean, didn't it have numerous screens? You you could well you could you could find some that had multiple games. On okay, it, but but uh, like when I looked at the Wikipedia thing, they actually had a picture of a uh, oh god, what was the one? Because uh, I I had seen it before. It was Doctor Mario, and I remembered. I ended up remembering that that I had seen a Doctor Mario cabinet in an arcade, and I was like, huh, that's weird. And then it reminded, in the chaos, reminded me. Oh yeah, I did play. I've also played Excite Bike and uh, Mario Brothers in arcades. But that's just it. In '84, they started releasing these arcade cabinets that were ports of Famicom games. Like to be fair, the first ones in '84 were just kind of sports games, you know, golf and baseball, and right. there was like a pinball. Excite Bike, I think, was one of them. Maybe. But, yeah, '85 gave us Excite Bike. Ice Climbers and Duck Hunt. You know, Ice Climber is really fucking great, and no one ever talks about it. It is. It is. It's like the one of the forgotten black box ones. That and Balloon Fight. I love Balloon Fight, but I still think there's an audience for Balloon Fight. Nobody. I have never heard anybody talk about the other one. Heck, we've been. Uh, it's been a while, but we played Balloon Fight uh, on the little NES that we have here. Nice. But, but yeah. Other games that came out for these uh, versus cabinets, or like the because it was only available for like. Six or so years, uh, 
were things like uh, Gradius, Goonies, I said Mario Brothers earlier, Castlevania, Tetris, Top Gun, Platoon. There's another one. Top Gun's so frustrating. Oh my god. Platoon? Platoon? Yeah, Platoon, apparently. I know there's yeah, Doom, but that... they put that in arcades. That's weird. And it's like a few of these were only available in the U.S. Is Platoon like, the only they... Oscar winner for Best Picture to ever have a video game? Um... Mm-hmm. I forgot Return of the King won Best Picture. That has a video game. Yes, yes. Okay. It does, that does need one. But yeah, pretty much. Yeah, there's not not too many best best picture winners that also have video games. I'm telling you right now, out of Africa, the game is kick ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Godfather, Godfather, there's a game of that too. Okay, I'll shut oh, up now. Yes, you are correct. You are correct. Scarface didn't win the Oscars, but that <laughs> has a game. Fuck, I hate Scarface. I don't know why everybody loves it. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's because they see him yeah. as a hero, and that's where I'm turned off. That's why I have a problem with the Joker. The Joker's not a hero. Fight Club, Tyler Durden is not the hero. It's a warning. No. Fuck. Yeah, it, well, that's the thing. Is those are movies that people don't understand, even though it's very obvious if you actually, when you look at it, that none of those characters are meant to be, you know, you don't, you don't have, just because the character is the protagonist of a film doesn't mean that they're a hero. Yeah, it's, uh, it's usually broken uh, white guys in their 20s that worship these movies. Yeah. Back now, to the story. Get, Sorry for the commercial break. <laughs> now, the last last couple of ones are a couple of computer games that came out. Uh, one, I guess I'm breaking the rules a bit again because uh, here's another game that we didn't actually get, or we kind of did. Uh, we got it a few years down the line, but it was like an enhanced port, uh, but not... There, this is a game... Second game in the Dragon Slayer series called Xanadu. And it's very important to RPG fans because it introduced a karma system based on the actions that you did in the game. Well, that's cool. I've never even heard of this game. Yeah, actually, oh, neither had I. I. I go like, this is familiar. I'm like, no, because I've never seen this thing. Uh, but it's, a, it's actually got full character stats that actually mean something. Uh Items that you equip actually not only do they change your appearance, but actually gain experience on their own. It's you know it's the first game that actually had an expansion pack. Like basically, uh, the Dragon Slayer series itself ended up going on to be an inspiration for like Zelda and the Yeez series, a bunch of these things. It's like this little puzzle strategy game, but it's like when I talk about your your equipment ex- uh, gains experience. It's like, oh yeah, you run around, you got a knife. You're uh, killing monsters, you got a level 5 knife. You decide to switch it to a sword. Oh, well, your sword's now level 1. Monsters that you've been killing easily are now going to be harder, even if you have technically a stronger weapon, because it's only a level 1 weapon. Your knife, your your little chintzy knife, is still more powerful than your new sword. That's so weird. So it's like, yeah, a lot of these things that we kind of... Take you know take take for granted in games now, kind of showed up in this in this one as well, and weirdly enough, yeah, we just never got it, at least not till like, got the Saturn I think was the one that had a uh, a port of a port of the game. God, are we ever gonna get? I wanna. They're talking about moving on to a Dreamcast Mini, but I want to see a Saturn Mini. I feel like there's a lot of games on there that be. I want to see Panzer Dragoon played again. You know, I just Knights wasn't that a Saturn game? Knights. Was that no, yeah, Knights of the Saturn game. Okay. Yeah, I but just wonder why they're ignoring them. What's that? 
Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? <laughs> I'm sorry, that, that's not a game. That's just that's just a question. Hold on, you have to say it like this. Where in the world in is the world Carmen San Diego? I love that show. <laughs> yeah, uh, educational puzzle game where you follow clues to locate the titular villain and her pun uh, pun named henchman. I played this game a lot. No, I've never like, played it. I only ever watched the, the not the cartoon, but I watched the uh, the PBS uh, game show. Yeah, because the idea is like you would every little case starts off with like, oh, I'm in Peru, in in Lima, Peru, and or not you only know, like, don't just start there, but using that as an example, and I'll be like, oh, something got stolen here, and they left a clue. Now you have to, you know, take you know take a thought and. Uh, Oh, where where would this clue lead you to around the world? And if you if you go to the wrong place, you get completely goofy, random nonsense clues. Or if you uh, get the right thing, all of a sudden, oh, here's the here's a little shady character running by or something like that. So you know that you're on the right track. And it's you know supposed to teach you you know geography and things about uh, different cultures and different uh, landmarks and stuff like that. <clears throat> But for the longest time, I basically just kind of goofed my way through it and just, you know, oh, I went to the wrong place. Oh, I did went to the wrong place. Oh, okay. There's there's the shadowy person. I went to the right one. So this is before point and click. This Was this all just like question-based and it would direct the game based on how you answered it? Yeah, it was like multiple choice. So it's like, okay, yeah, I okay. hit A, B, C or something like that. And it was, yeah, it, I'm sure I learned something from this game, but I couldn't tell you what at it's... this point in time because it's. It's been, I want to say the last when I played it was like in 88, 89. Yeah, it's so funny though. This is 85 and it didn't become a household name for like another eight years. Oh yeah. it's And that's even because they kept at, at doing uh, doing newer versions of that same product until it, you know, yeah, then became a TV show and, and a cartoon and everything. Because everything had to be a TV show and cartoon. <laughs> hey, cross-marketing. And toys. I'm sure there had to have been toys. Yeah. Well, yeah, based off, probably off the cartoon. Right, I right, doubt, right. I doubt you would have the, uh, the weird little, uh, God, what was the name of that band from that, from the PBS show? Shit, they're the ones that were in Greece. Um, uh, Shanana? Oh, no, I... It wasn't Shanana? I could have swore it was Bowser from Shanana was one of the guys, and he's like, he's the one with a really deep force. I'm gonna look it up right now. Screw it. Cheating. Go ahead, keep talking. Yeah, go for it. Distract, distract, but, distract. But yes, uh, distract, distract. Uh, yes, basically, what was nice about the version I had, and it was in the 85 version, was there were graphics. They weren't spectacular graphics, but you still had a a picture that said, oh, this is the place you're in. Oh, so it, was rock it, a, little, it was Rockapella. Rockapella, there you go. Thank you. I That would have actually bugged me for a while. I really thought that was... Uh... I really thought that was uh, Shanana. I'm going to see if Bowser from Shanana went over to Rockapella. Go ahead. Okay. Well, the last one and last game that I've got for everybody today is the Oregon Trail. Oh, everybody died to dysentery. We have to go now. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody made it to Oregon. Now, okay, Oregon Trail did start as a text adventure in the 70s. So this is not... This is not the original, original version, but this is the one that, if you have ever thought about the Oregon Trail, if you've ever played it, this is the one you probably played. Or at least, you might have played a graphically updated version 
but effectively this is it. You know, you're a bunch of settlers who are going to or- uh, follow the Oregon Trail to have a better life, and as you travel, you ran, you know, run into random events that you know throw ob- obstacles in the way. And chances are, as you kind of said, you probably died of dysentery or a snake bite or something. <laughs> I think this is like the first broke. game, the first computer game for almost everybody. Oh yeah, it's again, it's one of these. It's an edutainment software where it's supposed to teach you something, but I don't think anyone ever learned anything. You just you just kind of made sure that you actually survived your trip and hunted bison to the point of extinction, because we all know we did that. <laughs> And uh, but that's the thing is like it thinking about it, it did actually really have strategy involved because, you know, the characters that you started out with, you're like you could have been a farmer who had like no money, but you had more resources, I think. And like a banker who had all the money in the world, but, you know, other, you know, other stuff. And it's like the people you picked actually did kind of help determine if you actually made it to the Oregon Trail. You actually had to think your way through it. But again, most people just kind of, you know, hunted things to extinction and left a lot of food behind. And uh, I would have loved it if it they did, had turned it, if they had turned Oregon Trail into like the movie Ravenous, <laughs> like a whole Donner Party thing. <laughs> you have eaten the, your your team. You have eaten Molly. You have become Wendigo. <laughs> but what's really funny about this is a few years back, this also became the basis of a card game, where you had an entire thing where you had to go and uh, follow this trail based on cards that you had. And you could end up getting random encounters that would be, oh, you try to ford a river. Oh, roll a dice. Make sure that you don't lose all your equipment. Or you, uh, oh, you hit this thing. Uh-oh, you got a snake bite. Do you have any anti-venom or anything? You know, it's like all these, uh, all these things. And if I remember correctly, the designers of the card game couldn't even beat the game. <laughs> that's oh. how that's how difficult they made they made the Oregon Trail. Oh boy. Cuz cuz those things that people did off like Kickstarter. Oh okay. And it you can you can now buy it in stores. But yeah, Oregon Trail, good times. I <laughs> think mine was mine was the uh was like the Macintosh version, so you had like a little mini first person shooter segment. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, we just had regular PC, and I played this in uh, sixth and seventh grade. In uh, uh, I don't know, I think I had a computer science class or something like that. I can't remember, but I remember playing that. But yeah, but yeah, you could you took you had like the little use the mouse, and you could actually move your uh, little crosshairs around the screen and shoot and shoot stuff. Oh no, I, I remember that now. You could shoot the the food you're hunting, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I remember this now. Yeah, and like I said, I know my that's the version I played. I know there's other versions where it's just like you basically just kind of have a I don't know if he's static, but you could only move like you had like your direction arrows to shoot in. So you had like very limited range for that stuff. Oh. So I think I I lucked out and played played a more fun version. <laughs> well, we've come to the end of our journey, have we? We have, and we didn't disinter. <laughs> we didn't die disinter. Might have gotten. <laughs> You know what uh, I didn't know? I live, I live, I'm going to say this real quick. I live in Oregon, and I didn't know. I did not know this. I'm so sorry. I didn't know that Oregon was found on, like, like supposed to be a white people haven. Oh, yeah. The basis oh, of Oregon yeah. is so racist. I've lived here for uh, 11 years now, and I had no clue. 
tells you how much I pay attention. Makes sense now, though, with all the MAGA going on around here. Fucking. <laughs> I live in MAGAville. I live in Trump City. It sucks. It's not like Portland. Salem is nowhere nearly as fun, and Kaiser is the worst part of it. How do we get here? No fun. Oh. Oh, because we traveled the Oregon Trail. Oh, yes, right, right. Okay. Well, you were going to say something, though, before I interrupt you. You said, and the other... I do not remember at this point. It okay. just disappeared. Gotcha. It's like Gilligan's Island. And the rest. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that is so sad to think of. Poor Gil- poor Skipper and Marianne. They just were rele- relegated to no one. Oh, no. It's the Professor and Marianne. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no. It's, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's Professor Marion. Because Marianne. God forbid you mention two more names. And the rest already covers the Professor and then part of Marianne. Just do it. What are you fucking thinking? <laughs> they fix it, of course. But Okay, we're off on a tangent now. Okay, everybody, check us out on Hit Rewind, uh, Facebook, um, and check you out on Twitter. Where? Musician, M-Y-U-Z-I-S-H-I-O-N. Don't even bother with my Twitter. I say stupid things on there and post silly videos. It doesn't matter. Uh, just go yeah. on Facebook. <laughs> I'll share everything there. Well, well, keep check out check out your puppet work. Well, yes. When I'm drunk, I like to do a few. As I, I actually most of them aren't intoxicated. I'm just ridiculous. I just have fun improving these little sketches that sometimes have nothing to do with the movie. That it, it's just like a seed. It, it, it's a pivot from that sketch. Yeah, that was the one that I loved the most. Oh, actually, it would be the uh, No Spill Blood one. Oh, what I shot six one. fucking times, and by the sixth time, I was so irritated, and the beer, or the, not beer, the alcohol started kicking in, and I was like, fuck, I'm posting it. <laughs> I'm going to do it again, I swear. I'll do it again, but this time I'm going to write the lyrics out in different colors so I know the timing better. <laughs> All right, so that's it. Um, uh, we'll be back. I'm taking a hiatus because... Uh, me and Jacob need to catch up on 1985 and plus Christmas I work retail and I'm basically useless so uh, we'll continue this after Christmas um, John thank you very much and uh, hopefully you can be patient if not right record your own damn episodes <laughs> well I've got I've got a show I've got to actually actually get things recorded on and then I once once that is you'll see it posted eventually cool once I once I have a real name for it and everything. Yeah. yeah, for me, it's just, it's really, really hard. Once Black Friday starts to Christmas, it's the roughest, the absolute roughest. I can barely do the show. Been there, been there, been there. Yep. All right, everybody, have a good night or afternoon or whatever time is. Hey, just wake up. Have a good day. See you, everybody. See you next time. It's not an episode of Trash Cinema. It's, uh, this was originally Dude, Video Friday's movie. Prepare to do a little. Yeah. Prepare to do a lot of audio editing. This is going to be. <laughs> um, this is uh, originally Video Fright. We've moved it over to be calling it Thrill Me. Uh, be a segment of Hit Rewind, which you're listening to right now. That's my regular podcast. Uh, but Kersey is convinced that I did an episode of Trash Cinema because these movies are out of their fucking mind. <laughs> this is absurd. I, you know, I, I thought it was fun to talk about like the shine and like all these little intricate little details and going into like the history of it and now we're right where we started so you know this is going to be a return for the holidays <laughs> but i like both of them but yes they are trashy but they're part of horror history so i'm just thinking about it now i was like what was i thinking um motel hell is the craziest one do you want to start with that one <laughs> these are out of their fucking mind <laughs> <laughs> hmm. uh.
<laughs> okay, so we'll start with Motel Hell. <laughs> a movie that makes Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre 2 look subtle. <laughs> oh my god. I do have to say it, it, that it was actually horrifyingly gruesome. Like, I expected to be, like, that fucked up. Yeah. The details of how they take care of the bodies before they cut them up and serve them is truly stuff of nightmares. It's not even that. It is that. But on top of that, they also, like, talk like, oh, it's for anyone who may not be watching the movie first. So it basically this couple um, works um, kind of like a pseudo farm, really. one, And they sell basically, like, turkey is essentially what it is. Yeah. Um, and it's, like, the best beef had in your life of course because it's a movie it's people you can't just have a movie about people selling beef jerky it has to be made of people so the movie is that they're selling people and it goes into a disturbing amount of detail not only and they collect people and preserve bodies but all contributed which that part actually fucked me because the person who is writing this really threw was like how do you not get selling people and they like went about like how out they send it um uh, went into like business detail of like how you can get a secret that part was fucked up yeah it's almost like he did some deep research from cannibals or something just to get that right or or, i I just don't know how like the little things are so strange the fact that they're just sitting out there in uh the dirt with their larynx cut and they have these bags over their head, and they're shaking them around or whatever. That is nightmare-inducing. And they're, like, they're feeding them nutrients so they stay alive, but their muscle gets soft and tender. Ugh. Yeah, I lost you. But um, the one thing that's very off-putting and strange, and yet somehow enticing, is the very, very black humor that's in this the, the, this could be a straight up horror film but it has this like tone to it the way that Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 has of this backwoods hillbilly weirdo fucking sense of humor to it that, that makes it memorable in that sense so I mean I go for an insane redneck cannibal thing Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 is king but I mean this is this is pretty good if you're like really want to disturb it, uh, I, I do think that the the sheriff is I, I, the sheriff and uh, the uh, past are hosts. and I think like the, those segments, the like comic relief is, is is excellent for this movie. Yeah, it's it's all about these two bumpkins that are, are setting up all these traps. So they get bikers, they get like hitchhikers and stuff like that, and then they they bring them in and like I said, they they soften them up and serve them up. And then there's this whole weird like romance in it with the young girl they they capture but decide not to kill. They keep her there and bring her back to health, but the old man is starting to fall in love with her, and that gets like a weird twist into it because it turns like almost into a romantic comedy. And then the sister's jealous, and she wants to kill her. It, it's it's like a, a demented episode of a soap opera <laughs> with horror. Yeah, except for where someone goes to a two people soft fight. So, yeah, oh, that is a, a wonderfully fun fight. <laughs> the the is so absurd and amazing. Yeah, and there's not a whole lot to say I about. Have... Go ahead. Sorry. Okay, yeah. So I have to say about the chainsaw fight. 
actually better than Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two, uh, in that because it, it just it the, the sound that they had for those chainsaws was so good. Like it just like it sounded rusty, uh, sounded like it was tearing through flesh. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two, that whole text, the whole uh, chainsaw fight's more for laughs. But I think this one did it so much better with just like how dirty, close spaced everything was. It just like felt so claustrophobic. Yeah. Well, I think the I, there has to be some influence. Uh, Toby Hooper must have seen this and, and saw like some yeah. influence because there are so many similar elements in this that would show up, like, you know, six years later with part two. Yeah, definitely. Um, this one is easily available through Shop Factory. Uh, MGM usually puts it on sale around this time too, so you can get it like in your Voodoo. Um, I recommend this one, not highly. I think I'll probably never watch it again, but I did enjoy the one time I watched it. I'll probably watch it with somebody. Uh, I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty good. Um, definitely, if you're really into something a little offbeat and weird this yeah. year, I, I don't think it's a bad. I don't think it's a bad choice. Well, and the funny thing is, this came up during the rise of uh, uh, slasher films. This movie feels like it's a few years late because the rural uh, horror movie it, it kind of died off with you know like The Hills Have Eyes, and then everything was like in small suburban neighborhoods, and the babysitter was getting hunted down. You know that kind of genre took over. Yeah, yeah. This definitely is not the kind of. This is more like the killers are the focus of the movie, not sort of the. Um, the characters that are getting in the way of the main character. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and our second film, Death Ship, is another one that seems like it's just a little too before its time because now, for like the, what, the last 20 years, we're obsessed with ghost movies. And I see elements of this film influencing later movies. I almost feel like the ship being possessed has elements that you would later see in Final Destination. Yeah, I could definitely see that. It does have some uh, trap-like... Going on in this movie, um, which could be interesting. I do think that it was for a movie that looked like this. It is really well. I think they did a, they did a lot of interesting things with the camera. Uh, it's like they were really tra- they did really interesting transitions where something would flip in front of the screen. Uh, it's a simple, stupid trick, but like most this caliber don't really go the extra mile like that no especially this is a canadian production this is when they first started doing horror movies i think it was like prom night and this were one of the very first prom night of course became a hit but death ship got dumped and i think it's kind of underrated and and forgotten for a long time you could only find it on a shitty vhs and i thought it looked terrible because it is meant to be wide you know you know to, to look very cinematic instead of cut for television but the new edition that you saw which is from a scorpion blu-ray really captures the scope of this ship and it picks up the horror and, and the also the blu-ray has more gore a lot of it was cut when it was released in 80 hmm. interesting but it's about One a thing pe- i would say go ahead this is that oh sorry i was gonna i don't i don't know why but just there is a movie and there's something german in it it's all hitler always goes back to nazis in it yeah but it's always disturbing. Fucking Nazis are truly disturbing. This movie makes me uncomfortable. That's not about shit. Hitler. Yeah. I don't know. Like when it got to that point, I was like, oh, okay. all right. Like I don't know. It, it, it was just too obvious. Yeah, but 1980 obvious. Sure. I don't know. 
But I think I think it has some pretty good performances in it. Uh, of course, you have character actors Richard Crenna and George Kennedy. But Nick Mancuso, who is a Canadian actor who was a thing for a brief moment, he has a goddamn meltdown in the movie when they're showing the Nazi films. And I was like, yeah, that's a performance. And doesn't he like oh fall God. into a netting with all the bodies and he flips out too? I thought it was a really wacko performance. Oh, that was disturbing. Yeah. That scene was great. Yeah, it's it's uh it's a different pace. There's no dark comedy. Yeah. No, they, everything is played pretty seriously. The only thing is that there's like some um, comedic, uh, whatever that's called, comedic relief uh, would probably be from the kids. Uh, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I think it's a really scary movie. I think it's forgotten, and uh, it, it's. And yes, it seems obvious with the Nazis now, but 1980 that did seem like a newer thing. And Nazis will never stop making me uncomfortable because of the shit they did. <laughs> yes. No, if there was some. Oh wait, no, no, no. The the boat was like a place where they would torture people on, right? Yeah. I, I think I stopped paying attention at that point. I think it did explain it. So maybe if I actually mentioned time, I, it probably would have worked better for me. Yeah, it's where they would take the experimentations and they'd take them on the ship and it went horribly wrong. I still, I have to watch it again, but I still don't understand what exactly happened with the ship. Did it get blown up and that's why the ghosts are there? I don't know. I I, I kind of they just want to kill each other. Like they got stranded of some. Yeah, maybe they released on some sort of madness disease and they all slaughtered each other, but the place is so evil. That it just can't be stopped, and was, there's influence on this on Death Ship or not, um, uh, Ghost Ship, I think. I haven't seen Ghost Ship, but that's the one that has the the skull on the boat thing for the cover, right? Right. Yeah, the cover of the poster or the cover of the DVD, VHS, whatever, is like a, the forward thing of the ship, a skull hologram thing. I remember that as a kid when I would go to the movie store. Anyway, uh, back to the movie. Um, I would say that I love the captain ship, like the the first ship. I thought he was hilarious. Not a particularly great actor. No. But I I loved his I shit about anything attitude. The movie really worked for me. Uh, we talk about the bigger guy, right, with the comb over George Kennedy. Yes. Yeah. When he loses it, he gets possessed. It's uh, to be fair, it's it's meant to be menacing, but I think he doesn't pull it off well, and it's kind of funny. No, it's hilarious. I love it. <laughs> okay, so... So, unintentional horror movie... Uh, trash cinema episode, sorry. <laughs> hey, we're bringing it back. We're, we're bringing it back. It, it's that time of year. If we're to go back to trashy horror, I think now is the time. Yeah. Um, did you want to say anything else about either one of these movies before we go? Oh, uh, man, Death Strip. What was I going to say about it? There was something else I was going to bring up. Uh, I can't remember now. It, it, it's okay. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of it. I preferred Motel Hell. Yeah, you, you have more of that... Uh, you, you prefer that much weirder, stranger humor than I do. I like sometimes straight-up horror, and I think that's why Death Ship works better for me. But they're both good movies. They're just trashy movies. Yeah, I'll recommend either one. Okay, so we have one episode left of 1980 Thrillers, and this time we're going to go a little outside the box. Not straight-up horror, but they are thrillers, and uh, that's kind of the thing that we also changed. It wasn't just about horror films. This is going to bring in uh, some mystery and thrillers and uh, uh, crime movies. They have more of a fear element uh, than your typical of that genre. 
Yeah, so uh, about any ideas of what we're going to... Oh, what do I have? I have Fade to Black and Knight of the Juggler. Oh. Okay, Knight of the Juggler. I missed you said what? Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're going to have to edit so much of this audio. I said Knight of the Juggler. <laughs> yeah, that one's not a horror movie, but it has like a crazy, trashy thriller quality to it about a kidnapped girl who's the wrong girl, and the guy who kidnaps her is out of his fucking mind. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. Oh, it'll be the last in 1980. The 1981 might be one of the greatest horror movie years of all time. We have The Howling, American War of London, Scanners, Escape from New York. So many to go through. Yeah, that would be like a six-parter series. Yeah, I don't know. so many it's, There's a lot to go over. Yeah, I tried to add others to this list, and I gotta tell you, 1980 is a rough year because nobody knew how to edit these movies. They're slow. <laughs> That's very true. I feel like it's because our attention span these days is yeah. like 10 minute sort of in and out. And that's, you know, I feel like the pacing of older movies, I kind of like nationate older movies in that, in that way. Or if they slow, I'm into it. I don't like Blade Runner, terrible. Now I love it. So I don't know if I like a cheap slowing down because I feel my mortality. Okay, it's a rough year. <laughs> All right, everybody, check us out on Facebook under <laughs> yeah, fi- it's not a great no. no. <laughs> you know where to check us out. I'll shut up now. I'm not we'll all go. Right. <laughs> There's such a long pause. It's so awkward, <laughs> weird. I'm gonna go. Bye. I see you, everybody. Bye.